Welcome to the Gateway Baptist Church podcast. This is a message from our series on the life of Joseph. Today, we follow the story in Genesis 37 and see how messy Joseph's family was and discover that it didn't stop God working through him. As Tim said, uh, I'm going to continue our series we started last week on the life of Joseph, looking at uh, Joseph's life from uh, Genesis chapter 37 through to Genesis chapter 50. Encourage you to be reading along uh, over the next five weeks as we continue uh, this story. Uh, I love Joseph. He's one of my favourite uh, characters in the Old Testament. I love his faith. I love his vision. I love his integrity. I love his leadership. I love the way that in the midst of significant challenges both in his own family and in the circumstances around him, he maintains his faith in the everlasting God. As things are changing all around him and things are changing all around us today in our culture, he maintains faith in the ancient one, the everlasting one, the one who is unchanging. I pray today on Grandparents Day, uh, we're going to look a little bit at Joseph's family dynamic, which might be a little bit surprising, uh, the dynamic that uh, God is at work in the midst of, and I pray that it would give us faith uh, in the midst of whatever family dynamics uh, we're walking through. We're all part of a family. Some of us here are mums or dads, some are brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, some are grandmas, and some are dumpas. I'm uh, absolutely blessed to be called dumpa, and uh, I'm hoping that it will change soon, and other grandchildren won't uh, pick up on it. But we all, we all got a different role in our families. I wonder if this is what your family looks like up on the screen. Picture perfect family. Everyone's always smiling. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's happy. Everyone loves lying down close and affectionate with one another. Everyone wears matching clothes all the time and look especially shiny in a strange kind of way. You know, whose family looks like this all the time? The picture perfect family. My parents thought it would be a great idea to get a photo a little bit like this when I was growing up. This hung on our wall. For 25 years, my mates would come around and just constantly laugh at us all, sitting closely, wearing almost matching clothes and, and smiling beautifully together, the picture-perfect family. But, but I reckon a bunch of our families, oh, we might like wearing the same clothes, but maybe we're a little more awkward and a little more daggy, and we look a little bit like this. <laughs> There's a photo booth out in the foyer today. Maybe if you're all wearing what I'm wearing, uh, you could emulate uh, that family photo. That would be uh, kind of awkward. Uh, maybe your family photo uh, looks a little bit like this next one. Everyone's kind of trying to smile, but there's disaster going on around you, but we're still smiling. Or maybe you're in a family where everyone is laughing except for you. You're the only one that doesn't think it's funny. The reality is we might all pose for pictures to be the picture-perfect family, but none of us come from a picture-perfect family. Families are messy. 
So some of you right now, you're dealing with the mess of children learning to eat and learning to uh, go to the toilet and you're finding little surprises all over your house and your family, you know, is literally a little bit messy. You know, others of you are uh, dealing with annoying siblings that really get up your nose that you have to share a room with. You know, others of you have got pesky parents who disapprove of the partners that you choose or the clothes that you wear, you know, others of you, you know, tearing your hair out because you, your kids aren't listening. And some of you are dreaming for that kind of mess. You're dreaming for the kind of mess in your family you can clean up with a mop or you can change with a new wardrobe because the mess in your family is actually because of broken trust or broken promises, or broken relationships, or broken hearts. And in fact, the word mess actually belittles the pain that you're feeling right now. We've all got some mess, some pain, some challenges in our family. None of us have got the picture-perfect family. The funny thing is God thinks family is a good idea. And in the midst of mess, he's always working. He's always healing. He's always blessing. He's always redeeming. When we look at at Joseph's family, we're encouraged that we're not the first family to find ourselves in a mess. Joseph's family is a mess. But God's still working. God's still speaking. God's still fulfilling, you know, his promises. God is still blessing. In fact, if you just rewind a little bit and you go back to Joseph's, you know, uh, great-grandpa and great-grandma, Abraham and Sarah, God turns up and says to Abraham and Sarah, I am going to bless you with such an abundant blessing that you are going to be a blessing to the whole world. I'm going to bless your family so much that the whole world will be blessed through your family. Now, you'd think if God was going to make a big promise like that, if God was going to pour out a blessing like that, he would choose a picture-perfect family. But you read, you know, the, the chapters in Genesis leading up to chapter 37 that we're going to read today, and you see this family is, is a messy family. Abraham and Sarah, great-grandparents of Joseph, they come from a line of idol worshippers that don't know God. And God chooses them out of obscurity, out of idol worship, to bless them and calls them to, to, to follow him. And Abraham and Sarah are old and they're childless. It doesn't look like they'll ever be parents, ever be grandparents. You know, how is the whole world going to get blessed through their family when they don't have any family? And Sarah starts to panic. And so she says to her husband, Abraham, sleep with my servant, Hagar. And Abraham says, okay, stupidly. And he does. And Hagar gets pregnant with Ishmael. But over time, Sarah gets so bitter and so resentful towards Hagar that she banishes Hagar and Ishmael from the family. 
Eventually, Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac, and Isaac marries a lady named Rebecca, and they too walk through the difficulty of infertility. They walk through a time of not being able to have children. But eventually, they have twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has smooth skin, and Esau is as hairy as a yak. And they play favourites. You know, Sarah, sorry, who are we up to? Rebecca. You know, Rebecca liked men with smooth skin. And so Jacob's her favourite. And and Isaac, you know, liked, you know, hairy mountain men. And so Esau, you know, is his favourite. And Rebecca wants Jacob, the smooth one, to get the hairy one inheritance. So she comes up with this plan to deceive one of her sons, and to deceive her husband. And Jacob thinks, I'm going along with this. I'm going to win out of this deal. And so deceives his dad and rips off his brother. And imagine how the hairy one felt. He wanted to rip the throat out of the smooth one. And so Jacob has to run away, and he runs away, banished from the family to to a new place. And he spots this hottie named Rachel. And he thinks, I, I want to marry this girl. Uh, except Rachel's dad says, if you're going to marry uh, my daughter, you've got to work for me for seven years. And he thinks she's so hot that he does work for seven years. But then they get to the wedding day and, and Rachel's dad gets him drunk and gives him the ugly sister. <laughs> gives him the wrong one. He wakes up in the morning And he's married to the wrong sister and he's not happy about it. And he goes, you know, to to Rachel's dad and says, hey, you gave me the the wrong sister. I don't want this one. And he says, well, if you want the other one, you've got to work for me for another seven years. And so he does. And he ends up marrying both sisters, fraught with danger. And the one that he really loved couldn't have any children but, but Leah starts having children, but he doesn't like her that much. And so he stops sleeping with her until one day Rachel wants some of Leah's magic mushrooms. I'm telling you, this is in the Bible. Do your research. Wants some of Rachel's you know, magic mushrooms and says, hey, uh, I really want some of them. And, 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 and Leah says, you can have some if I can sleep with your husband one more time. And she says, yes. And then Jacob goes on, you know, to sleep with, you know, two of their servants and has some more children there. And then eventually has some children with Rachel, the one that he's always loved. And because he's always loved her, the two sons that she has are his favourites. And he particularly loves one of them named Joseph. He's a favourite son, gives him this magical coat that none of the other kids get. They all get dressed from Lowe's menswear and he gets this, you know, technicolored coat and they hate him and then he has these dreams that the whole family's going to bow down to him and they hate him even more. He's estranged from his brothers until one day his dad sends him out to meet his brothers out in the field and it says in Genesis 37 verse 17, Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan but they saw him in the distance and before he even reached them, they plotted to kill him. And you thought your family was a mess. 
That's a messy family. Imagine Christmas dinner with that family. Jacob and Esau are up one end of the table. Everyone just keeping them apart so there is not murder at Christmas. <laughs> Rachel and Leah just staring daggers at each other, you know, across the table. And 11 brothers running around with darts trying to kill the one in the fancy coat. <laughs> That's a family Christmas. It's a messy family. But in the midst of this mess, God's still working. God's still speaking. God's still fulfilling his purposes. You know, growing up, I always wanted some brothers. I had two sisters. They never wanted to play footy or cricket. They cried a lot. They dobbed on me a lot. And I never knew if I had any mates. I never knew whether the blokes hanging around with me were actually my mates or they were just sniffing around to see if they had a chance with my sisters. But it turns out I didn't have many mates. <laughs> I always wanted some brothers until I read this story. And I've decided two sisters, far better than 12 brothers. My sisters never plotted to kill me. They may have been tempted several times, but they never went through with it. I want to encourage you today as we look at Joseph's family that your family's future is not dependent on your past. In Joseph's family background, there's adultery, there's deception, there's violence, there's estrangement, there's divorce, there's attempted murder. And even though Joseph's family was a mess, God is still working. God is still working out his purposes to bless that family and to bless the whole world. Out of this mess, God's incredible. Out of this mess, God positions Joseph to lead with such integrity and such vision and such faithfulness that he becomes the second most powerful and most wealthy man in the world. Only God can do something like this. I want to remind you today, it didn't happen overnight. As you read Genesis 37 to 50, realise that this happened, you know, over 22 years, you know, 13 years, you know, before Joseph sees anything like the vision start to become reality. You know, don't, don't think that, you know, God's blessing always happens in an instant. But in the midst of mess... God is still working. God is still positioning. God is still shaping. God is still working. And God has a dream in his heart for Joseph. And he's able to fulfill it even in the midst of mess. And I want to encourage you today. God's got a dream in his heart for you. And your future and your family's future is not dependent on your past. See, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually breaks into our mess, breaks into the mess in our families. And he's able to heal. He's able to redeem. He's able to transform. I want to encourage you today. God's got a dream in his heart for you. It would be crazy to think that he didn't. You think of, if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent in the room, you think of the dreams in your heart, you know, for your kids and for your grandkids. Be crazy to think that our Father in heaven, you know, his heart's not as good as yours. He's got a much better heart than you. He's got a dream for every single one of us. 
And it might simply be just the passion that you got in your heart today. There's a passion to help people. There's a passion to serve people. There's a passion to actually, you know, see other people's lives transformed by Jesus the way that yours has. You've got to start to trust that passion. It's a fantastic verse at the end of this story in Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph looks back on the past and he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives. And some of you here in the room, There's been some people that have harmed you. But I want to encourage you, God is still good. And God is able to take what has actually been quite painful in your life and use it for good, for the blessing of others, for the saving of many lives. In the midst of the mess, God's got a dream in his heart for you. He's got a dream in his heart for your family. And it is not dependent on your past. If you are divorced in the room, your God-given destiny has not been diminished. If you've been betrayed by members of your family in the room, the dream that God has in your heart has not belittled. If you're in the room and you've got you know, relationships that are broken, God's dream, his ability to actually see his dream fulfilled, is not broken. It's what God does. He puts broken pieces back together. He heals what is broken. Your family's future is not dependent on your past, but your words can shape your family's future. Let me just uh, read a couple more verses here in uh, Genesis 37. It says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, Reuben's the eldest brother, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Ten, or we don't know if Benjamin was there, but ten or eleven of the brothers all speak up and say, let's kill this dreamer. Let's put an end to his life. And they all agree, except for Reuben. Now you need to understand, Reuben's actually got the, the most to lose. He's actually the one that should have been most offended by Joseph's dreams. As the eldest son, he was entitled to more power and more wealth than all of the other brothers. He actually has the most to lose, the most to be offended about. But Reuben, even though you know, there are 10 or 11 of them are saying, let's kill him, he says, no, let's not shed blood Let's throw him in a pit instead, hoping that later he'll be able to deliver him into his father's hands. Now, they're not the kindest words in the world. If your brother or sister came along and said, hey, let's throw you know, a brother or sister in a pit, you know, they're, not the, they're not the kindest words, but in this context, they're life-saving words. They're life-giving words. He uses his words to shape his family's future. In Proverbs, it says... Your words are powerful. They have the power of life 
and death. Now, maybe not quite as literally normally as this story, but you know your words have power to build up and give life to your family or to tear down and to destroy your family. You know because you've received some words that gave life and love and you've received some words that tore down and have caused offence and pain. You know the guy who said sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me was an absolute moron. And it won't hurt his feelings, apparently, that I called him a moron. But you know words are powerful. You know words can hurt. Some, some of you are listening to words that have been spoken over you decades ago. They're still causing pain. But you can actually choose words that give life for your family and shape your family's future. The first funeral I ever did, I ever spoke at, probably 28, seven years ago, something like that. The lady named Helen, mother of one of the, the kids in our youth group at the time, died suddenly overnight, no warning, sudden, massive heart attack in the middle of the night. I'll never forget her twin sister, who I'd never met, getting up at the funeral, standing right here, and I'm sitting just right beside her. And she said, Helen and I had a big fight four years ago. We said some very hurtful things to each other and we haven't spoken to each other since. And she broke down in tears and said, but I still love her. And I wish I could tell her how much I love her, but it's too late. It was devastating. I was in tears just listening to it. The next funeral I did, a son got up and then said a whole bunch of great things about his dad, loved his dad, and finished it by saying, I really loved my dad, but I realised I never told him. I wish I could tell him. And I'm sitting there going, this is crazy. Two funerals in, this is crazy. I decided then and there, that is not going to happen in my family. And so from a very young age, we started this tradition where birthdays and Mother's Day and Father's Day, special occasions, we sit around the table and whoever we're celebrating, we just go around the table one by one and we choose to honour that person and tell that person how much we love them. Build them up. I, I'm hoping that whenever my funeral happens, no one's got anything left to say. Just chuck him in the box. We've said it all. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to bring this culture into our, our Queensland Baptist pastors. And so last year at our Pastors and Spouses Convention, I, I worked out who in the room had served Queensland Baptist for 40 years. And I got them up the front and we gave them a gift and, and I honoured them with my words. I told a whole room, you know, got to, to honour these people with, with our words. It had never happened before. And, and at the end, a lady came up to me and she says, that was actually really nice, but it felt like a funeral. <laughs> I'm thinking, why? Don't save your words until your family's in the grave. Use them now. 
to build them up, to tell people how much you love them, to honour them. You can shape your family's future with your words. Words have the power of life and death. I want to give you a really simple opportunity to actually do that very practically today in the seat in front of you. You'll find a little postcard on it. It just says a message of love on the back. It's just a couple of words already written on it for you just to help you get started. Dear, you can fill in the name. I love. Pick a family member. I don't care if it's a grandkid, grandparent, mum, dad, aunt, uncle, whoever. Someone you want to honour, tell them that you love them. Write it down. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes at the end. Build up. Give life to your family. Tell them how much you love them. Shape your family's future as I'm talking. Just think about who you might write that note to today. Your family's future can be shaped uh, by your words and his word can transform the future of your family. Let me just read a bit more of this story. It says, uh, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of hairy Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. It doesn't really say hairy. I'm just making sure he's still awake. Of uh, hairy, hairy Ishmaelites uh, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe. Let's just think about how cruel this is to his father. They got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this, examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognised it and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. The brothers came back and they told their father a lie. It wasn't true. Joseph wasn't dead. But they told this poor grieving father that he was. And they gave evidence to support the lie. And when Jacob heard the lie and saw the evidence that supported the lie, he believed the lie. And he mourned for 22 years. This lie impacted him. It impacted their family for 22 years. I wonder if some of us today are believing a lie that we've believed for 22 years. Maybe 22 months, 22 days, I don't know. How long? But I tell you, we do have an enemy. Just stay with me for a minute this morning. We have an enemy that wants to take our families down. He wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. And the only power he has is to lie. And he lies really well. And he always provides evidence to support the lie. And what happens is when we hear the lie and we see the evidence to support the lie and we believe the lie, we justify sinful, damaging behaviour. 
because we believe the lie. I'm just going to give you one example today, but there's many. One example, and I don't want a show of hands, I don't want you to look at the person next to you, but some of you have heard this lie in your head. I'm married to the wrong person. And the evidence, when that thought, that lie comes into your head, and here's the evidence. They're the opposite of you. They're so different to you. You're married an opposite. You're married to the wrong person. Well, of course they're opposite to you. That's why we call them the opposite sex. They're different. You don't want to marry you. You know, you'd kill yourself if you married you. (laughs) You'd annoy yourself too much. You're attracted to this other person because they were opposite to you. But when that lie comes into our head and we see the evidence that supports the lie, we actually start to believe the lie. Damaged families, relationships, sometimes for generations. What we've got to do and those lies will come. Don't, don't feel guilty that you hear the lie. But what we've got to do when that lie comes is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to take hold of the truth. And this is the truth in that situation. The Word of God says to love your wife as Christ loved the church and says to husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How did Christ love the church? Was it all just fluffy and felt nice? No, he chose to love. He chose to serve. He chose to put the other's needs first, even though we didn't deserve it. And just think about this logically for a minute. If you have to submit to another person, it means they're different to you. They've got a different idea. They've got a different way of doing things. If it wasn't different, if it wasn't opposite, you'd never have to submit. You'd always be in complete agreement. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is how your family gets blessed. Love your wife. Choose to love even though you don't feel like it. Serve her anyway, even though she's opposite to you and she comes from a different planet. Serve her anyway and submit to one another. When you're different, when you've got opposite views, because that's what Christ has done for you. So you've got to take hold of the truth when that lie comes in. The enemy will always provide evidence. What we need is what Romans 12 said. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is for you, for your family. His good, pleasing and perfect will. The world's pattern for family is not working. You don't have to look very far to see that. See that selfishness does not work in a family. You've got to take hold of the truth to transform your family into a godly pattern, godly purposes, godly plans. You know, when our kids were all teenagers, 
And some of you are walking through that season right now. Our verse as a family for about five or six years, and it was plastered on our dining room wall, was Ephesians 4 verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. I tell you, we needed that verse through those teenage years. Be kind to one another. But the joy now is our kids are all adults. I see that kindness. I see that compassion. I see that transformation of heart. What is the word in your season? What is the truth you've got to take hold of in the mess, in your marriage, in your family, in your parenting, in your grandparenting? What is the word for you? There'll be a word. I could keep going through example after example after example. God speaks into family. He wants to bless your family. He wants to transform what is broken in your family and it happens by the renewing of our mind. Get into God's word together as a family. Take hold of God's word. See, your family's future is not dependent on your past. Your words can shape your family's future. His word can transform your family's future. And lastly, the future of your family is not finished. Let me just read just these last two verses in Genesis 37. He says, I will, this is Jacob, father speaking, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, everyone say meanwhile. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Jacob feels hopeless. He says, nothing's ever going to change. I am going to keep mourning until I'm in the grave with my son. Nothing will ever change. But meanwhile, Joseph is alive. Meanwhile, Joseph is alive and kicking. And maybe the situation in your family feels hopeless right now. And maybe God's got a meanwhile for you. Well, it feels hopeless. Meanwhile, he's working in this way. You know, my, my mum could have said, this is the way life's always going to be. Suffered with agoraphobia and chronic depression for over 20 years of her life. But meanwhile, God was putting some faith in her heart and a pastor came along who persisted in prayer until she was set free and completely healed one day when I was 13 years old and it changed the future of our family. Our own daughter, Bronte, she went through an eating disorder, very dark time in our family. She could have said, this is the way it's always going to be. But in the midst of the mess, God just put a seed of faith in her heart. And God's done a miraculous healing in her and she's now strong in body, mind and spirit. If I'm really honest, there were times in Susan and I's marriage where I thought I was married to the wrong person. She comes from another planet. And our marriage was in a mess. And we could have just said, well, this is the way it's always going to be. Or if this is the way it's always going to be, I'm getting out. And I'm so glad that people came around us and helped us to see 
God's wisdom and a different way forward. Meanwhile, in the midst of that, Jesus was transforming our hearts. And in about three hours' time, we're getting on a plane to go to Scotland to celebrate our 50th birthdays. And I'm going to forget all about you for a few weeks. And we're going to have a lot of fun together. I'm very glad that God heals. He transforms the future of your family, as messy as it might be. It is not finished. You'd look at Joseph's family and think, how can anything good ever come from this? How could God bless anyone, let alone the whole world, through this family? Fast forward about 1,600 years, there's another Joseph. Another young man finds himself in a bit of a mess. And we see in Matthew chapter 1, we often skip over that chapter. It's his genealogy, goes through his family tree. And this young Joseph, in a bit of a mess, is actually looking back to his family tree. And it starts with Abraham in verse 1. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Jacob, uh, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and all of his brothers. Those 12 brothers became the 12 tribes of Israel from four different mothers, an absolute mess was a blessing to that nation. It goes on a few generations down. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Did you notice a couple of names in there starting with R? Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a foreigner that, that worshipped other gods You know, for, for, for most of her life. Then it goes on to say, Jesse's the father of King David. David's the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, everyone say had been, had been Uriah's wife. Murder and adultery in the family line. And it looks like the continuing saga of this family is only going to get worse. Now, generations later, there's a young man named Joseph and he's engaged to a girl named Mary and she's pregnant out of wedlock, and he knows that the baby isn't his. And it says this at the end of the family tree, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. From this jolly, messy family comes our Messiah to bless the whole world. And the story of Joseph is actually a picture of what Jesus is going to do for every family one day. He's a forerunner of Jesus. You know, Joseph was a man of integrity that suffered the hands of injustice from people that loved him, people that should have loved him. Jesus, not only a man of integrity, Jesus lived a perfect life. And yet, he suffered injustice at the hands of the people he loved and came to save. You know, Joseph had his robe stripped from him and blood from an animal dripped all over it. And Jesus, at the end of his life, had his robe stripped from him and his own blood flowed, mingled down. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver by his brother Judah. Jesus was sold for 20 pieces of silver by his friend 
Judas, which is simply just the Greek name for the Hebrew name Judah. Joseph's a forerunner of Jesus. Joseph was thrown into a pit and it looked like God's dream was finished. It was over. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life and died a perfect death on a cross. His dead body was laid in a tomb. But meanwhile, Joseph was living and he was carried away by a bunch of Midianite traders that were carrying spices of balm and myrrh. On the third day, there were a bunch of women who went to the tomb mourning and carrying spices of balm and myrrh. And just like Joseph was lifted up out of that pit and he was alive, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Saviour, was lifted up out of that pit and he was alive. And he gave new hope to every man, woman, child, parent, grandparent. He rose from the grave and he's alive today. He has hope for every person. He has been through sin, through death, and he's come out the other side alive. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then there is resurrection power at work in your life and in your family. And when it looks like the dream is finished, when it looks like everything is a mess and nothing will ever change and there is no hope. Meanwhile, Jesus is alive and He's working and He's redeeming and He's blessing. If we'll just listen to His Word and take hold of it by faith and to pray, and persevere in prayer until we see the dream become reality. I want to encourage you today. Whatever mess you're walking through, your family's future is not finished. Your Saviour and Lord, He turns mourning into dancing. He brings beauty from ashes. He breathes life into what is dying. He's got hope and healing and blessing and transformation for your family today. I'd love you. I want to pray for families in just a minute. But just before I do that, two minutes. Grab that little postcard. Grab that postcard. Practical response today. Two minutes. There's pens in the seat in front of you. Just write a four-sentence note. I love this about you. I love the way that you. You're such a blessing to our family. I love you. Who in your family just needs a word of love and kindness today? Come on, just take two minutes right now, just while the team sings for us. And then I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing out this song together.
that's better than you, Lord. There's nothing that's better than you, Lord. There's nothing, cause nothing is better than you. Anybody, if you'd like to, I'd just love to pray a blessing over families. You know the mess you're walking through right now. You know the breakthrough that you need, the prodigals you're praying to come home, the healing that you need, the healing of broken hearts, healing of broken bodies. You know the relationships that need to be restored. You know the intimacy that you'd like to grow. You just got a prayer in your heart for your family right now. I'd love to just pray with you and for you that you'd know his resurrection power, the one who turns mourning into dancing, the one who turns graves into gardens, the one who can bring beauty from ashes. I want to pray that you'd know that power at work in your family today. If you just love that prayer today, just stand where you are. Come on, just stand. I'd just love to pray for your family today. Pray for parents, pray for grandparents. Pray for brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. Hey, just, uh, just open your arms and receive today. I'm going to pray, but what I really just praying is that you'll just be, your, the posture of your heart will be, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Just hear what He's got for you today. God, come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Give us your life-giving word for our families. Put hope in our hearts for our families. Give us faith and trust in your power and your wisdom for our families. And God, today I do pray for prodigals to come home. God, I pray for broken relationships to be restored. God, I pray for wisdom, that you give wisdom to speak words that will lead to life. God, I pray for, for intimacy and affection to flourish in families where there's been hardness of heart, where bitterness has got in. God, I pray for forgiveness to flow. God, I, I pray for roots of bitterness to be weeded out. God, I pray for just a commitment to pray. God, I pray for a perseverance in prayer that we would pray a blessing over those that have even hurt us. And God, we would pray that blessing until you change our hearts and until you change that relationship. That's a word for someone today. I don't know who it is. You just got to choose to pray a blessing over the person that hurts you until God changes your heart and begins to change that relationship. God, I do pray for broken relationships to be restored, broken bodies to be healed. God, fill our hearts with hope and faith in Jesus. Jesus, we declare today, you still turn mourning into dancing. You turn graves into gardens. Jesus, you draw prodigals and you bring them home. Jesus, you are the one who can put broken pieces of our lives back together and make us whole. And we give you all thanks and glory and praise. Come on, let's stand together, sing this song together.
God bless you as you uh, go and hang out with family, whatever is in store for the rest of the day. If you would like some prayer this morning for anything, no matter what, our prayer and our pastoral team are going to be down here right after the service. They would love to stand with you in prayer. Uh, but if that's not you, feel free to go and uh, head out, grab some uh, scones or jam and cream, get a photo at the photo booth, go and visit the Beyond Cafe. God bless you this week. Have a great one. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.